From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and my regular co-host Jennifer Shutt is off today, but we're lucky to have with us CQ Roll Call's tax and economics reporter, Laura Weiss. Welcome, Laura. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, David. And we are here on a dramatic day in our nation's capital where the House may or may not pass their huge budget reconciliation package to expand the social safety net and tackle climate change. Uh, They want to vote on it today, Friday, as we tape this podcast. Um, It's looking a little dicey. It's going to be a dramatic day, I think, with lots of ups and downs. So we're not quite sure what's going to happen. Everything's on the line here with President Biden's economic agenda. This is the big package that would really define his first term in office if they succeed in passing it. But people are nervous. It's a huge package. And the Democratic Party, they have no Republican votes. And the Democratic Party has really been torn for months between their progressive and moderate factions warring over this thing. And from what we understand today, Laura, moderates are still kind of squeamish about this bill. Uh, The Congressional Budget Office has yet to provide their official cost estimate of the package which some moderates have said they want to see before they vote. That's not going to happen by today. I don't know. We think it's going to pass. We can't be sure. Nancy Pelosi is said to be a very good vote counter. So clearly leadership thinks they can get it through today. That's why they scheduled the vote. But I guess there's still the possibility they pull the bill from the floor if the votes aren't going to be there. Yeah. Absolutely. It's definitely still a lot in play, David. And, you know, with some of these moderates, they've really been concerned about really deeply understanding the spending and revenue impacts of this package for a long time. You have someone like Stephanie Murphy, who back when Ways and Means marked up the tax portions, she voted against everything because she felt like she didn't really understand the full impacts, didn't have enough detail. And, you know, we're talking about similar things today. So uh, we'll see where this goes. Yeah. So what we want to do today is talk a little bit about the financing for this package, because even though there's not an official Congressional Budget Office estimate, the the Joint Committee on Taxation did provide us Time is blurred together. Just just a couple days ago, I think, or was it yesterday? Uh, the yesterday time runs wild here. The uh, their estimate of the tax portions of this of this piece and how much revenue would be raised. So we do have that as a basic guidance. Laurel, you 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 you're very familiar with that stuff. Walk us through a little bit of what that showed us. Yeah, absolutely. So the big number here is $1.5 trillion. That's how much the tax provisions of the bill would raise in revenue over a decade, according to the Joint Committee on Taxation. Um, you know, getting into a little bit of that, you have corporate pieces. The big one there is this 15% minimum tax on book income of corporations reporting over a billion in profits. Um, that's actually a pretty progressive 
proposal that Elizabeth Warren has been behind a while that made its way in because Senator Sinema has opposed individual and corporate rate increases and dialing up what's in the tax code now on those. So that would raise about $319 billion, according to JCT. And then you have some pretty big individual tax pieces, including an extension of the net investment income tax to other forms of income. That's $252 billion. And then you've also got a surcharge on income um, you know, for the highest earners for people making over $10 million and then even more for people making over $25 million. And that's expected to raise about $228 billion. So some really big pieces on the corporate and individual tax fronts, even though Senator Sinema took great increases off the table. Right. So there's no broad increases in the corporate income rate or individual tax rates, but they're making it up through these other taxes that they're, they're doing hits on, on the corporations and on upper income households uh, that supposedly now is going to raise one and a half trillion dollars over the decade. And then they still have to make up a little bit of a gap here to, to get the rest of the way there to pay for everything, right? Yep, exactly. So then the other two big pieces there are funding for the IRS. They're going to give the IRS about $80 billion to boost enforcement, modernize technology, and basically go after uncollected tax dollars. So that's one where the numbers have been a pretty big question. The White House has put out a $400 billion number they're estimating for that. But CBO a while back estimated that would net something closer to $120 billion. So you just really, the numbers are, you know, pretty different there. Um, and that won't, you know, score in, in general, but um, it could be, you know, an important point for Democrats. And then the other one is drug pricing provisions. And the White House has estimated that what's in the plan right now would bring in about $250 billion in savings. Right. This is the, the provision they've added now to let Medicare negotiate directly with manufacturers on the price of prescription drugs. Obviously, if they can lower those drug prices, Medicare has less money it has to shell out for those drugs, and there's a big savings there. The White House says it's about $250 billion. We don't know for sure. Uh, that's still going to be a question mark. And as you point out, Laura, the, the, the other big real question mark here to me, the biggest single piece of, of new money in this whole thing is this tax enforcement piece, right? That raises, the White House is, is betting that raises even more money than any of the other single taxes that are in this package. Um, and I see the White House estimate from last night says it's actually $480 billion dollars they estimate is they're going to get from tax enforcement just by being able to collect taxes already owed that, that haven't been collected so far. And that's a huge gamble. And we don't know that the Congressional Budget Office is going to sign off on that. And they're usually more skittish on counting that kind of money because it's harder to, to ensure that that money actually will get collected. Um, and so that could leave them a big hole if if that tax enforcement money doesn't come through, um, that's that may be a real gamble in this in this financing plan overall. And then some of this has been negotiated right down to the wire, even as 
even as late as last night, Laura, we know that one of the big sticking points in nailing down this whole package has rested on this push by Democrats in high tax states like New York, New Jersey, California, to lift this cap that we've had for several years now on the amount of state and local taxes you can deduct on your federal tax returns. This is known as SALT for state and local tax deductions. It's a huge issue for Democrats who want to see this thing raised because they say too many upper middle, middle income-ish households got hit. Right now, there's this $10,000 cap on how much they can deduct. And so by putting that cap on it, placed a real, it amounts to a tax increase on a lot of those folks. They're eager to lift that cap, but they've been torn for weeks over how to lift that cap. Laura, bring us up to date because there were there were talks as late as last night on how they're going to compromise on that. Yeah, this has moved a lot in recent weeks. And, you know, this is an issue that's really important to some members, particularly from New Jersey, New York, high tax states that, um, you know, this cap hits pretty hard. And the cap itself is a Republican creation that, you know, the other complaint with it is that some of these members say it makes it harder for blue states to enact liberal policies because they need to charge higher taxes to do that. So. This has been a sticking point for some of those people a while. You had a trio of Democrats saying no salt, no deal for quite a long time. And finally, they got on board with a plan late last night that would basically lift the $10,000 cap to $80,000, but would extend it throughout the decade. And then in the final year in 2031 would snap it back to $10,000. And that's basically you know, to make sure that this isn't costing something in the budget window because spending is, you know, quite tight at this point um, for Democrats. But it's definitely not the option that a lot of those folks wanted for a long time. They were really pushing to repeal this cap for a couple of years in full. But one of the problems they ran into with that was Senator Sanders, he just killed that option basically earlier this week because he said it was a giveaway to the 1% and basically doesn't want to see this benefit going to billionaires. And so right now you also have another Senate proposal to actually extend the cap as well, but create an exemption based on income. So we'll sort of see where this lands, but the House seems to have finally come together around something late last night. Yeah. And of course, you know, Republicans have delighted in accusing Democrats of of uh, pushing a, a tax cut for the rich. Right. Because they can say that most of this by lifting the cap, uh, it mostly benefits upper income households. Um, and so and that's where Bernie Sanders comes in saying we should place an income limit on it so you can only you can only get this deduction if you make less than maybe $400,000 a year or something, I think was, was Sanders figure. Um, but I don't think they've, I don't think they've settled on an actual income limit. Um, and then the house, my understanding, Laura is the house folks weren't as enamored by that idea. They didn't like sort of an income threshold. Right. Um, yeah, I think, 
there was some resistance. I think also that proposal hasn't been fully fleshed out. And, you know, yesterday you had some of the House members who want to address the cap and have been really pushing on it, saying, I need to see paper, I need to see details, I need to see a JCT score of that. Um, And it wasn't clear that that was going to be available quickly. So I think that also complicated that option as well for those folks. Yeah. And so this really does bring up how you know, this is still in flux. So even if this makes it out of the house Friday, um, it just, it then goes to the Senate, this 50, 50 Senate <laughs> where Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are ready to pounce. Uh, we still don't know where they stand on this thing. Uh, a lot of, a lot of house folks were really queasy voting for something without an assurance that all 50 Senate Democrats were on board with it. And they didn't get that assurance, really. They're counting on, on President Biden's word that, that Senate support will be there. But, but Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema have yet to publicly endorse this bill as it's currently written. There's, they've still been pushing for changes. And I think it's pretty clear now, Laura, that we're still going to see changes come on the, on the Senate side, um, particularly because... House folks rolled the dice and reinserted this paid family and medical leave provision that Joe Manchin has said he doesn't want in this bill. Yeah, yeah. Joe Manchin's been pretty clear that he's not on board with this. Um, Senator Gillibrand has been putting options in front of him and and he wasn't getting on board with them. Um, So, you know, it's really not clear that this in any way could get his support. And it was pretty clear when Democrats decided Wednesday morning to put this back into the bill that senators didn't know what the plan was. They didn't, I think they, some of them found out from reporters it was happening. So, you know, I think they sort of decided that they want to push Manchin on it. They want to, you know, make the Senate fight that one out. But yeah, it's become quite clear that they've accepted changes will come in the Senate. And you have Senate Finance Chair Ron Wyden all week telling reporters this isn't done till the Senate acts. So he's driving that right home. Yeah, this would be four weeks of paid leave for family emergencies or the birth of a child. Um, but we don't know where that stands. And it could well be that that uh, the Senate has to strip it out if Manchin objects. And then, of course, the other piece that we're sure to see change in the Senate, we think, is um, immigration, right? Because Democrats do have some provisions in here for limited immigration protections for undocumented immigrants, uh, some work permit stuff, some protection from deportation, but not what a lot of the progressives want, which is a full path to citizenship. Um, but still, even these limited protections that are in this bill are going to be subject to what the Senate parliamentarian says is allowed under this budget reconciliation process, uh, which does, you know, the Senate has this bird rule that limits what you can take up under reconciliation. And immigration changes may not cut it. So far, we know the parliamentarian has been very resistant to immigration changes in this bill. And so, that's something else that could get stripped out. And then this bill will have to get sent back to the House again for another vote. So 
still a lot to be fleshed out here um, before we ever see a finish line, even if this bill <laughs> makes it through the House today, Friday, um, which we still don't even know yet is going to happen. Uh, so there is a lot to be watching here um, with a lot at stake. And we should say, if, if they do pass this, um, if they do pass this bill Friday in the House, then the House will also take up this bipartisan infrastructure package that's been sitting for months now. Um, it already passed the Senate. That, that could actually become law if the House takes that up Friday. That's certainly something to watch because that's a good chunk of money, about $550 billion of new money for roads, bridges, water systems, uh, the works, um, that could actually become law very quickly if they can get this, <laughs> this reconciliation package through, which is just going to be a bear. Uh, we're going to wait and see what happens. It's a chaotic day, so anything could still happen, but that's where we think things stand for the moment. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.